about three months ago, I was out doing some uh, yard work, and we needed to trim a bunch of trees. And uh, these were like big Bradford pears, so the branches were pretty large. So I had to use a chainsaw and just cut a lot of the branches. And so I recruited the, the littles to come help me. I had Marlon, Jaden, and Campbell out there. This is Campbell. Campbell just turned eight years old. He's an amazing kid. Um, I just love his passion and his desire and his curiosity. And he just cracks me up. I mean, he just is a, a riot, okay? So he and I just, we, we just have fun together, okay? And so he loves to come and just do everything that I'm doing and being a part of it. So we're out there cutting the branches. I'm trying to be real careful because, you know, I got a chainsaw. I got the kids around. But, you know, I, we got this. So we're, we're working. And we've been out there for about an hour. And I, I cut this branch. And when I cut the branch, um, I cut the top of it for a little bit. Then I'm going to cut the bottom of it. Just do a relief cut. And the branch is going to fall. But it's a large branch. It's almost like another tree. I mean, it's, it's fairly large. Well, when I cut the relief cut on the bottom, as I cut, it comes down. But it doesn't break. It just pinches my saw. And when it pinches my saw, somebody's like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I got that. So it pinches my saw. It's holding there, and I can't do anything. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, oh, forget it. So I turn it off. Everything's safe. And I'm like, I call my friend. I'm like, you know, the guy that's help, there helping me. I was like, hey, can you bring the tractor over? And uh, I just want to let you pick up on this branch. Pick it up. I'll get the saw out. The thing will come down. We're good. No big deal. So here's what happens. Um, I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I got a few minutes. So I pull some of the branches out of the way, make a pile of the branches. And I've already like, know the girls are down far away. You know, Marlon and Jane are down this way. Campbell's up there with me. And uh, I say, Campbell, we have to stay clear of this. This is dangerous, okay? This thing could fall on us at any time. So let's just stay clear. It may fall any minute, all right? So I say, come on, let's move these branches. So I move the branches. And when I turn around, he is standing directly underneath the, the tree, directly underneath it. And I'm just like, Campbell. And it just flies all over me, okay? Uh, and this is what happens. I said, Campbell, what are you doing? Get out of there, dummy. Yeah, you don't think very highly of me right now, do you? <laughs> I was like, here, and now I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I said, dummy. And you should have seen it. It was just kind of like, oh, oh. <laughs> that's not what I meant to say. Oh, just shot me to the core. I looked at him. He looked at me. I pulled him over to the side. I got down on my knees. I just pulled him up close. and said, bud, listen, I am so sorry. I, I, I did not mean to call you dummy. I, I'm very sorry. And I just began to just apologize to him. And there are so many thoughts flooding through my mind at this point. Like, why did you do that? You idiot. Now I'm calling me names. You, uh, you know, I, it's just like over and over. I'm like, come on. What? And so then I'm thinking, I got to tell Rachel. God, I don't want to tell my wife. I, and so I'm just like, but I am sorry. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I said, do you forgive dad? He said, yeah, dad, I forgive you. It's like, thank you, buddy. I'm, thank you so much. I said, I'm so sorry. Go down there with your sisters and it, it, let's, it, everything's going to be fine. Not 30 seconds after he leaves, Marla hollers back at me. Dad, did you call him a dummy? I was like, ah, I thought I kind of had that one tucked away. I thought it was like, forgive and forget. Um, no, and now I'm like, now nah, I got to tell Rach. So now here's the thing. There are so many reasons probably that wells up inside of me as to reason that I called him a dummy. One thing is probably true. At the deep, deep part, I just like to blame. 
All right, my responsibility, somebody doesn't do, I can't control it. Since I can't control it, I might as well blame somebody because it can't be my fault. (laughs) So what it is, though, is in those moments right there, I just reach for whatever I can find. I just grab whatever's available. But then I start thinking about things, and I'm thinking, what kind of damage did I do? What if it's years from now, and he's really thinking one day, like, Remember that time dad called me a dummy? What about this? What about this is the story that I chose to tell you just so you didn't think too poorly of me? You're like, oh, gosh, he really is bad. You see, here's the thing. The truth is, is I'm probably going to fail Campbell again. I'm probably going to do something that I regret one more time. But I also know that this is in me. There's something in me that so many times it just comes out and it comes out. And usually I don't see it until it's out there and the damage is done. And I can't get it back. And I'm like, okay, now what? Now what? Now what? And what happens, I think, is this does some damage to our own souls. Because what it does is it creates this space in here where I disconnect from who God is and I start to believe lies, and I live out of another part of who I am. And this causes damage, and I think this causes damage to the inside of our souls. But that's not not the whole point. The whole point is that we face assault all the time from external influences and external messages and external attack, a brutal attack that comes against us that we don't even know what to do with. When those things come at our hearts, they come at our souls and we feel them. And we just don't know, like, for, for real, like, just this week, you know, we see the flooding in Kentucky. And our hearts, you know, 25 people die. And we're just like, I just, is this the same 25? Is this a different 25? Did, wasn't there something last week where a bunch of people? And we just kind of feel the weight of it. And it just comes in and it just weighs on us so heavy what about um what about ukraine like how many more messages of ukraine that come in that we don't know what to do because we feel so helpless we feel like we don't know what to do like where does our heart go and we just kind of push those losses to where the, the point is where we just can't even feel it anymore we come numb to it almost like i just can't go there it's just like compassion fatigue like I don't know what to do with it, and it assaults us. We're not anywhere probably close to like being done hearing the word COVID, but we're already hearing monkeypox? Like, like for real? Like, no, seriously, like, we, we can't handle that. We, 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 no. So we have these internal and external attacks that come at our souls. And this attack, these things that come towards us, that cause us damage, that come at us, are painful. And it does do damage. Listen to this quote by John Eldridge. He says this, A world like this damages your soul as a matter of daily business. We must live wisely in return. Now here's the thing. I didn't even talk about just the things that, I know the people that I know that are having very difficult times, the trauma, the health issues. In fact, if we were to each just make a list, we would all come up with a list of 6, 8, 10, 12, 20 people or things that are going on that we each can understand and hear. And and what do we do with that? That's a weight that we carry, just living in community with others. 
These are our friends and our loved ones. You see, all this weight has a toll. And I think if we see this, then we can realize that some of it comes externally, some of it's self-inflicted because of our own actions. And then there are places that we just can't go in our souls anymore. We just push that to the side and we walk away. Now, if you've been with us this summer, you know that we're in a summer series and we're using the book as inspiration for this, John Eldridge's book called Get Your Life Back. And that is what we're doing, going through different chapters in this book and allowing it to kind of make us aware that this assault that's on our souls and it's on our lives, it, it can have a toll on us if we don't live wisely and we don't look at life from the right perspective and keep our mind where it needs to be. Because what happens is we can, there can be a lot of neglect. And today I want us to look at this through the idea of caring for these neglected places in your soul. And I would really like for us to just give some practical tools. Now, my name is Jason Fullen, and I'm just excited to be able to speak with you and be part of the summer series. And hopefully you've been following along as we've had uh, different uh, understandings along the way that lead to the same thing of getting our life back. There are also some resources online that are a reading plan that you can look at and to help follow along if you haven't been doing that. Now, today, I just want to do something extremely tangible. Like, I would love for you, when you walk out, you would walk out going, okay, I have something in my hand. I have something in my tool belt. I can walk out the door, and now I know something that I didn't know but when I came in, and it's going to help me when it comes to this idea of caring for the neglected places in our souls. So hopefully we can come to some conclusions about that. I would like for us to do so by just understanding that we should be compassionately curious about the losses that we've endured. Now, I'm not suggesting that we just go into our souls and just, you know, reach back and till up every trauma we've ever been through and all that. But I'm not a professional counselor or a clinical psychologist or anything like that. All I know is that if we neglect the places in our soul and keep them from God and avoid them, then we're going to shriek our souls. And we're going to shrink and live less and less and less and less. And God is not going to have as much of us to work with because there's not much of us left. So in doing so, I think I want to do is, is just to look back and start at one of the first places that we see where neglect took place. And it's, it's kind of the roots of what happens when we disconnect from God and we start looking in other places instead of to him. Uh, in Genesis 3 and verse 6, we go back to the Garden of Eden and we see where the woman, uh, Eve and Adam are there. And they eat of the fruit of the tree. And I want you to just jump in with this with me and listen and see exactly how they come to the conclusions that they come to. And see how it may parallel to some of the conclusions that we come to. Verse 6 goes like this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband 
who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, here's the first thing that I just want you to catch. The very first thing they do is they disconnected from God. They disconnected from their maker. They disconnected and they, what did they do? They were deceived and they just decided to believe lies. And they said, well, we know we're not supposed to do this. We've been warned. And then they go and do it anyway. And as soon as they do it, what is the first thing they do? Instead of going back to the source, they just reached for fig leaves. This idea of reaching for something, looking for security, they, they recognized their nakedness and they went to cover their shame. They went to cover their sin. They went to cover their mistake. We didn't do it. They hear God and they hid from God. Right. You can't hide from God. But that's what they did. They reached for fig leaves. And when they reached for those fig leaves, they began to cover up and try to live from something that's lesser. In fact, what they were doing is they were looking for security. They were looking for something to cover. Well, I just need some security. And they thought it was best to detach from God and attach to fig leaves, something that could just be there in the moment, cover them up, and just work as a substitute. Now, when we see this passage, I think what happens is it's describing something that our church fathers refer to as the false self. The false self is that part of us that always wants to create a pretense. It always wants to manage our image. That false self wants to stand up in front and just say, hey, I want to project this image so this is who you think I am. It's where we try to control everything. We want to manufacture being liked. We want to be ego-driven. We become defensive. Why? Because we have this false image that we want to project so that you can like me. I'm hoping you like me right now. Like I'm thinking, you know, there are some things that false self inside of me just likes, well, I, I hope they think I'm funny today. I, mean, I really hope they think I'm funny. And some of you are going to be like, he wasn't very funny today. He just didn't, he just didn't have it. <laughs> now, what does this mean? Well, what it means is, is that there are all kinds of management situations where you and I are managing our image in front of everyone in order to feel better about ourselves, in order to find our own security. It's the fig leaves all over again. We just start looking for something to cover up. So what do we do? We just tell the best parts of who we are. We just kind of manipulate the situation. And in that false self, we retreat from God and we live to impress. You see, the false self often gives more attention to the casual instead of the deep. So what does the false self have to do with our neglected souls? Well, it actually has a lot to do with our neglected souls because the false self always fosters neglect. You see, if we are constantly living from our false selves, then we are disconnecting from God 
in order to do so. Remember how I told you that it creates this neglect so our souls begin to shrink? Why? Because we disconnect from God and then we run to this false self. And in that false self, it's like this pretend world where we want everybody to like us. We want everybody to think that we've got it all together. Listen how John Eldridge refers to it. He says, we often can't find the more of God we long for because we are looking with so little of ourselves. Too much of us has, left behind, has been left behind just as the assault on our attention keeps pushing us into the shallows so we no longer hear deep calling unto deep. The pace of life rushes us past significant moments of disappointment and loss, and in doing so, continues the, sal- the shallification of our souls. You see, I think this, sal- this shallification causes us to begin to seek security any place we can find it. If we're in a conversation and somebody says something that's painful or that stabs us just a little bit, we, we reach for a fig leaf immediately. Like, oh, no, no, that's not true. No, no, you, you, you misunderstood. And we cover up. And what happens is we begin this process of just seeking security constantly. We just always want to be secure because we don't like the way it feels when things are not going our way. And we don't like the way it feels when people look at us poorly. So what do we do? Well, we have this sense of longing to be secure. And what we do is we start looking everywhere for security. And you know the places we look for that security? Mostly, it's in the horizontal. It's in that sphere where there's people all around us, or maybe it's um, our vocation. Maybe it's uh, perhaps our spouse. Maybe it's our title. Maybe it's a friend or a child. And we go to them and we're like, hey, do you think I'm enough? And what do we do? We try to like hook into them. And when we try to hook into them, we just try to say, hey, will you do me, would, would you just tell me I'm okay? Will you tell me I'm worthy? Will you tell me something just to kind of prop me up? And we begin to clip into all these things that are around us. Maybe it's our vocation. Maybe it's our job. We're like, you know what? As long as I'm doing well at my job, then my job's providing me that security. That vocation that I have, that that thing I'm trying to do in order to prove who I am. You see, out when we're trying to do this and find security in these areas of our lives, it's all about pretense. It's all about trying to prove who we are. And we walk around in here looking at them and say, will you love me? Will you, will you provide everything that I need? Will you show me that I have security and significance? And we clip into the very peop- these people that are around us. And these kinds of things where we attach and where we seek to find this security becomes a problem. I'll tell you why it becomes a problem. Think about if you did this. Think about if we just had a bunch of security ropes here and you just attached over here and you attached over here and you attached one back over here. Now you're attached to all these significant people in your lives, but you're reaching to them to provide you security. Well, what happens if they have a bad day? 
and they come at you. They're going to just drag you along with them. You're like, whoa, 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 what is the problem? I thought, I thought we were cool. I thought you liked me. I thought we were good. I thought I was okay. They're like, well, I'm just in a bad mood right now. Well, why are you taking it out on me? And they're like, I'm not taking it out on you. I'm just in a bad mood. What's it? You're the one trying to put your security in me. You see, here's the problem, and here's what I'm trying to understand, and I want us to understand more of. When we become tethered horizontally to all the things in our life that provide us lesser significance than the significance that God, the maker of the universe, has given us, then what we do is we walk around at the will of the people, the will of the job. We have a bad day at work, there goes my security. If we have a fight with our spouse, I don't have any security. I don't know where things stand right now. What, what happens if you are just, you, you become so attached to your title that your title, you know what your title is. And you're like, this is who I am. This is what makes me me. I am this. And then you retire. Now what? That was your security? What happens if you lose your job? What happens if your kids grow up and move away? You see, it's in these moments that we begin to recognize that we've got a problem if we seek security in something other than the one who can actually provide it. Listen to how Jeremiah describes the same situation. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here we go. If I am right here and I am attached to God and I have this vertical relationship, this vertical relationship that tells me who I am, that says I am safe and secure in him, that I am deeply loved by God, that I am forgiven, that I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to work for anything. I don't have to try anything. There's nothing to impress. And yet, what do we do? So many times we're like, yeah, well, I, I, okay, I appreciate that. That's a lot of good stuff. But you know what? This person over here thinks I'm funny. I'm kind of hoping you forgot that I called Camel a dummy. In fact, if we just want to get down to it, how much of me is kind of handing this to you right now? I hope he's doing a good job. I hope I'm doing a good job. I hope they like what I'm saying. What if they don't? What if they go out of there and go, uh, yeah, it hits close to home, doesn't it? You see, this security that we're looking for, <laughs> oh, if I can only get this point across. Here's what I really think. What I really think is this is so backwards. Because we go around looking to find security in the horizontal people in our lives and they just pull on us and tug on us. And these are the people that we're supposed to be loving the most. It's really hard to love someone very well when they're also your security. Because if they fall down, there goes your security. You have nothing. You're just sitting there going, oh, you hurt my feelings and you had all my feelings. 
You see, the backwards portion is this. If we connect to God and who he is, and now out of this connection, watch what I can do. I am free. I am free. I have the security in Christ, and now I can go and love these people. I can love my job. I can do great at my job. I can go to my vocation, and guess what? I can take more risk. I can do things better. I can go there, and when I get there and things fail, guess what? Big deal. It failed. It's not my security. My security is here. My security is attached to the one who made me. My security is attached to the one that understands me and that loves me no matter what. I think that this understanding reshapes and gives us wisdom and it prevents us from living lives of neglect in our souls. Why? Because now we are attached to the very one that gives us life. And it's from this attachment, from this security, that I can go out and minister to these that are in my life. I can go out and live through my title, but my title is not my security. There's a a book by Bobby Shuler. It's called You Are Beloved. And Bobby eventually lands on this, some very practical truths. And here's the very practical truths that I want to present to you today that you can walk out of here with as tools to help you constantly stay on task when it comes to living from the security in Christ. You see, he basically comes up with this mantra that forms in three sentences. And the first sentence is this. It's like a prayer that he got from Henry Nouwen that he's just developed over time. And in his book, You Are Beloved, he just comes and boils it down to three things. And if we can take these three things and walk out of here, then it's these three things that will help us see the horizontal for what it is and the damage that it can do by pulling us any and every direction versus being connected to a God who loves us and will never let us go. These are the three things. The first thing is this. You are not what you have. Excuse me. You are not what you do. You are not what you do. I think so many of us can easily get attached to our vocation or to a title that it just becomes a part of our identity. This is what I am. I'm an analyst. I'm a linguist. I'm a scientist. I'm a hygienist. I'm a teacher. I'm a plumber. I'm a painter. I'm a manager. I'm an engineer. It's funny, wasn't it? I know. My wife wrote it. <laughs> I didn't want to tell you that. She's like, you should say engineer. I was like, that's funny. That's good. I'll do it. I gave her credit. That was for her, wasn't it? Okay. Um, You see, it's whatever ist or er that you have, that's where you go and clip into your security. And when you do that, your vocation was never meant to provide you security. You are not what you do. Some of you are going to fight that one. I can feel it. You're just like, oh, wait a second now. I worked real hard. (laughs) I know. There's more. You're also not what you have. When we accumulate things, and we feel secure by the things that we accumulate, whether it's wealth, 
whether it's things, whether it's, what if it's the lack of things? What if it's those possessions where you're just like, you know, once we get a new car, everything is just going to be a lot better, okay? Or once we get the house, all we got to do, just keep saving. Once we do this, we're going to pay this off, then we're going to pay this off, then we're going to get the house, okay? And once we get the house, then we'll be good, okay? We just got to get the house. Until then, no security. What about this Disney vacation? If we could just ever, I don't, how do these families do it? How do they do it? Maybe that's what it is for us. We just want to provide that. We just want to be in that circle. It's just accumulating things or experiences. And then the last one is this. Remember, it's two things. You're not what you do. You're not what you have. And you are not what others say about you. You are not what others say about you. Now, listen, this cuts both ways, by the way. It's... It's not what others say about you in the sense that if they talk bad about you or if they don't like you, I'm be honest with you, I really like to be liked. When somebody doesn't like me, I'm like, what? Really? Like, what? They don't like me? Like, I'm a good guy? Like, I'm funny, right? What am I doing? I'm just kind of like, this false self inside of me, I'm just like, Oh, man, you, man, I really wanted you to like me. That's so sad. And you know what I do? I just unclip from God. And I'm like, I know God, but they don't like me. <laughs> and then I just walk around like a little puppy dog. Will you like me? Will you like me? See, we become misunderstood. When I become misunderstood, oh, it just goes all over me. Like, you, you thought, what? Oh, does it, am I the only one? When you're misunderstood, it's just kind of like, I don't know, you just, you don't understand. You see, but if I'm attached to that, I have to understand I'm not what other people say about me. I'm also not what other people say about me when it's good. Man, he was sure funny today. Golly, he was sure funny today. They thought I was funny today. Man, they thought I was funny. But you're not what other people say about me. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm not what other people say about me. You see, when we do this, what we can do is guard against so many things. They're going to lead us to neglect because we will try and try and try to live in the false self. But if we will remember these three things as a mantra for our daily lives, and we will look at them and say, you know what? I am not what I do. And I am not what I have. And I am not what other people say about me. What am I? I'm the beloved of God, and so are you. You are the beloved. And since you are the beloved, this is where we place our security. Putting our security in him changes everything. We are no longer bound by all those horizontal relationships that we are trying to find our purpose and our sense of worth and our sense of being and our sense of belonging can we find belonging in there? Sure, Christian community, sure. But it's not our security and it's not our identity. Our identity from, from, comes from God. He says we are the beloved. What does it do? It frees us up when I go and I enter into other people's lives and it's messy and it's hard and they fight back or they just, you just can't control. Do you know this is the land of control? If you want to know whether you're living your false self, it's you're trying to control everybody and everything. You got this on, and you're just like walking around. Everybody, oh yeah, that's not how you do it. Let me show you how you do it. Get over here. Why? Because we're trying to control everything. 
Why? Because it's our security that we're worried about. Manipulation all lives right here. And what we should do is recognize, wait a second, I am the beloved. If I am the beloved of God, then I can come back to him. I can attach into him. I know my security is here. And it's out of this security and the love that I have and the understanding I have that watch what I can do. I can take risk. I can be vulnerable. I can come to you and tell you, you know what? I don't have it all together. You shocked? Yeah, I don't have it all together. Some of us that are too private and you're like, oh, I just don't want anybody to what? Find out that you have a false self? You see, vulnerability is the space in which we're allowed to really connect with others, to walk into those neglected places of our soul and allow God to heal them. Not only that, I want you to know this. You can't lose love when you're the beloved. Nothing can separate you from the extravagant love of God. So it's out of this love that I am connected to him and I have this horizontal, uh, horizontal view going on here. But I can live in that horizontal view and bring redemption and bring grace and bring love and bring forgiveness. Why? Because of this, this vertical connection of knowing who I am in him. So I have one question for you, and it's where are you placing your security? What are the things that you're doing? If you have been with us this series, you know that there is a pause app. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't downloaded that or haven't participated in that, or you've pushed it off and pushed it off, and you're like, eh, I, I would go and try it. And the reason is because there is some really great things in there. The first thing that, that it always gives you is, is this idea of, I give everyone and everything to you, Jesus. I love that because if our security is out over here in the horizontal and we have all the spider web of things connected, it's just like, okay, wait a second, unattach, 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 unattach. And let's, let's, and let's go back to God. I give everyone and everything to you, Jesus. Connect. And now I turn around and say, how can I love these people the way you want me to, God, so that I'm not looking at them for security? It's what Eldridge refers to as benevolent detachment. When we live wisely by connecting ourselves as the beloved of God, we can live freely and we can do so by bringing about love and security of Christ and his love and forgiveness to those around us. I want to just call your attention to this. I want to ask that you would think about where you're placing your security and challenge you to disconnect from that false self and connect to God and say, okay, God, I'm going to live out of who I truly am, out of my true self. And it's from there I'm going to minister and love those around me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, thank you for the fact that we can live lives of significance without having to go around and prove ourselves. We can live our lives, Father, knowing that you are the one that provides us our security and our significance and our purpose. God, I pray that you would help us to lead our lives 
in a new way. That there would just be wisdom in the daily efforts to not attach ourselves to the things that we can't, that can't possibly provide us security. Help us to point them to finding their own security in you. And I pray, Father, that just this, this shift would occur in us, that we would let go of control, that we would let go of manipulation, and that we would walk daily connected to you, understanding who we are, and giving more of our souls over to you, healing those inner parts that we've neglected for so long so that we can live a greater life and help others find you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.